Welcome to Press Coverage. I'm Theo Greminger, and I'm joined by Curtis Patrick of Rotoviz. Uh, this is this is really really awesome to do this right before the season starts. Um, now now we're on the right side of the of the page too, Curtis. So I was I was doing a little impersonation on that overlay. But press coverage is a show where I want to give you actionable advice. I want to help you find the edges to help you win your league. I think it's becoming more and more difficult to find those edges in kind of the information age here in fantasy football, where we're constantly bombarded by news from camp, by so much fantasy information. And my guest today is one of the sharp ones, uh, Curtis Patrick, the dynasty commander uh, from Rotoviz. You know, he's very well known for his dynasty takes, but Curtis is an excellent best ball player. Uh, always does well in the pros versus Joe's uh, run by fantasy mojo and Curtis gets into the high stakes streets. He plays in FFPC and does very, very well. So we're going to talk about mostly redraft today. I got a couple of dynasty questions in. So for the dynasty haters, you know, tough, it's late, it's redraft season, but we're going to get at least one question in with the commander in the house. Curtis, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Uh, this is long overdue, Theo. I mean, we've been DMing each other for a couple of years, uh, you know, even before we even knew each other very well, just kind of, I think, from being in drafts together, recognizing each other's names, you know, hey, here's a picture of how this draft's going. What do you think about this guy? What's the best next pick for this team? So I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit better. I've uh, been following your content as you've kind of bridged, you know, this year from, you know, being that, you know, all world type player to being more of a content producer um, and, and have enjoyed uh, watching you do that. But um, yeah, I'm putting our minds together here. Hopefully we get some great actionable advice for your audience in terms of how I'm doing. I'm feeling grizzled, man. I've, I'm like 500 drafts in this year, like this week. This feels like the week where it all hit the fan, right? Yeah. Like everything's converging, you know, 50 to 100 best ball drafts going at any time. You're trying to get in your high uh, high stakes redrafts dynasty waivers are running for the first time in a lot of different leagues cut downs it's like you know it's take it from every angle man i haven't even shaved this week but um i i missed <laughs> i missed i missed i missed the dynasty waiver wire run in the black crown league which i joined this year which you run uh, with a lot yeah, of you did, i got yeah. i gotta i gotta get it i gotta get my get get it together man i'm drafting every night and this is uh press coverage yeah. we've been trying to rock you know this is you know in season we're going to be one show a week but this week we got four in and uh, Curtis did the last one of the week and we're going to get a lot of good stuff here. And this is like a Rotoviz channel for me because I had Sean Siegel on first class fantasy yesterday. And yeah. now we have now we have Curtis in the house, but it's uh, it's great stuff. So one question I've asked Sean and I've also asked pretty much every single guest on press coverage and first class fantasy for maybe the last two months is you put a lot of time and effort into your drafts, but also your rankings and also like the, your thought process on players. If there was one player that you could know the final stats for of anyone in fantasy, who would it be? Is a wide range of outcome guy? Is it a guy whose performance negatively or positively could affect his teammates? Which is that one guy maybe giving you pause that you would just love to know what's going on with? There, there's so many. There's so many viable answers, man. Um, yeah. I'm gonna. Get, I'm gonna give you a couple, and we'll keep the take shorter, and you can dive in wherever you want to go. I, at the first in the first round. Maybe the most important player uh, to know the stats of would be Cooper Cup because if he stays healthy, I mean, he could be the overall number one player and being drafted at a discount all year. Um, but if, you know, if he's ouchy and, and it doesn't work out with Stafford and the elbow falls apart, I mean, he could be the biggest waste of draft, draft capital and totally sink team. So, you know, knowing Cooper Cup's final stats what would actually help sort out the first round a lot. Um, Travis Kelsey would be a one B answer because if he doesn't have, you know, the mega season from last year and he's just like really good instead of like all time good, you know, that could be a problem going down a couple of rounds further. It's hard not to say the name Brees Hall, um, you know, Brees coming back from an injury in his own right, but there's so many reasons to be optimistic about the Jets scoring more touchdowns. He looked awesome last year. You know, Dalvin could be just as much of a name signing as an actual functional signing. Uh, for the team and so if if we knew what his role and his stats were going to be he could be one of the biggest bargains um of the final few weeks of, of draft season and then you, you can go a little bit further down but i'm not sure there's as many of those uh tilting type answers if we go really late and i know we're going to talk about this guy you know later in the episode potentially you could even make an argument for somebody like sam howe 
That's who Sean. That's who Sean picked yeah. yesterday. Because because if oh, well that yeah that's interesting. I have not listened to your episode yet from yesterday, but the reason it's fun to answer with a quarterback here is because not only does it change the way you approach a quarterback position if you knew those stats, but it all there's all the derivative plays. Like if you knew Sam Howell's stats, you could make you know some informed insights around what happened with Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson, what happened with Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin. And so, you know, the, the really sharp answer is to go with the quarterback there. Um, you know, another fun one would just be Anthony Richardson. You that's, know, uh, that, yeah. that's one that a bunch of people have had. But, that's a great yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I drafted him in a main event uh, actually yep. this morning. It's a slow one I'm doing with Biplap mm-hmm. Mandel. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm in. I'm in at cost. I'll put it like that. So great answers. We've heard Deshaun Watson from a lot of people. Um, but, you know, those upper guys, you know, that's one thing where we think we always know the first round, but at the end of the day, the first round does have landmines and it does have a lot of guys who with a big wide range of outcomes. So I love the Cooper cup uh, answer. That's one we're going to dive into a little bit later. Uh, First, we're going to hear from our sponsors, but when we come back, we're going to dive into a number of players and a number of positions. We're going to sneak in one dynasty question too. Hey, you know, people always ask me, what's the World Series of Fantasy? What's the Super Bowl of Fantasy? And it's easy. It's the FFPC. Their signature Players Championship has a $6 million prize pool. And their best ball leagues start in February. And they're the answer to so many questions. Hey, what's the best place to get a Dynasty Orphan? Well, you can adopt a Dynasty Orphan at the FFPC right now. There's more orphans at the FFPC than anywhere else on the internet. That's why we partner with them. So if you want to play fantasy football for low, medium, high stakes, you love Dynasty, you love best ball, you love seasonal leagues, all types of fantasy footballers need to go to the FFPC and remember Use promo code UNDERWORLD. Promo code UNDERWORLD gets you $25 off your first team. Promo code UNDERWORLD, $25 off your first team, no matter what the format is, at the FFPC. Go get it. Welcome back to Press Coverage. I'm Theo Greminger with Curtis Patrick of Rotoviz. And Curtis, you're the Dynasty Commander, so we have one Dynasty question, even though we're in, like, redraft hell week. Right now, the big two wide receivers and most likely the big two uh, picks in any dynasty startup draft that's not super flex are Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I know that we have them as one, two. I know that Rotoviz has them at one, two, certainly at the wide receiver position. And most of the other sites you get your information from will have those two guys. It's, it's, it's low hanging fruit. Who is your current wide receiver three in dynasty? And if there is a player in Dynasty right now that could crack the big two and push one of those elite players down to number three when we talk a year from now, who could it be? And don't say Marvin Harrison Jr. because that's a (laughs) cop. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a tempting answer, especially me being a a central Ohio boy, man. Uh, You know, OHIO. you know, I think at three, there there's really a tier where you can make some good arguments for people. You know, uh, Garrett Wilson is there. Jalen Waddell is there. Uh, JSN is there for a lot of people. And then, and then I think you can include CeeDee Lamb and uh, Amonra St. Brown as well. And some may even include Chris Olave. And I think the likely answer would be from amongst that group, you wouldn't include Marvin Harrison there probably. I think that the easy answer for who's the dynasty wide receiver to next year is probably it's still just going to be Jamar Chase. Yeah. I don't know if the Bengals are going to be able to hold on uh, to Higgins or not and keep every everyone together. But can you imagine what his what Chase's numbers would look like if they can't hang on to Higgins? You know, if they if they have to develop another level, uh, you know, alongside him. I think that's that's interesting because then you really get into a situation where Chase. It, it, potentially could even overtake Jefferson, you know, with his big playability, uh, his ability after the catch. And then just, you know, could we drive 30 more targets his way? That's pretty exciting to think about. If you're going to not let me say the name chase, now the easy answer is Wilson, but we also have to keep in mind, you know, what's the jets plan after Aaron Rodgers? So I think that's a little bit of a riskier answer. Um, you know, maybe than most are thinking. So I'll say Jalen Waddle, uh, only because, uh, you know, and, and Sean has talked about this a lot on his podcast and written about it a couple times this summer. 
if it's not this year that Waddle overtakes Hill as the primary option in Miami, it probably will be in 2024 and Hill's age will start to drive down his dynasty value and the perception of what he can do in a given year. And people will start to take that projection forward. So um, I, I'll say it's, it's a, it's a tie for me between Wilson and Waddle. And because you get to his age and the Mike McDaniel offense and, you know, more of a wide open, I guess, approach to offense, I'll say Waddle over Wilson just to be different. And I'll let you do one Marvin Harrison question because he's the truth. And it's one of the best wide receiver prospects we've ever seen. Where is Marvin Harrison going to be drafted in redraft next year? I'm going to say third round in redraft. I'm going to say he steams all the way up there. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. You know, if we talk early in the season, like never too early best ball for the FFPC or the big board on underdog, those types of things. I mean, I think you'll be able to get him in the fifth or sixth round. But if he hits a nice landing spot, um, with any of these younger quarterbacks, I, I agree. I, I don't know if, man, round three, I'll, I'll say top 45. I don't know if I'm going to say top 36. Yeah, it's it's going to be exciting. That's definitely yeah. one that people are going to lose their minds for. And now we're going to pivot over to redraft before the people start getting annoyed. Um, but, you know, one one player that you've been really, really high on for the last few seasons as a guy that you should go out and get in Dynasty – was Tony Pollard. And you're absolutely correct on that. That was one of your buys last offseason. Uh, I I have him on plenty of dynasty teams, but I've also been selecting him on a bunch of redraft teams. This is a guy who has the backfield all to himself. He is a dynamic talent. He's looking at a volume increase, and he's in the right offense for this. They've had plenty of running back success over the years. And his backups are Rico Dowdle and Deuce Vaughn. But Tony Pollard now costs you a mid-second round pick. Certain drafts he goes at the one-two turn. Where are you comfortable selecting Tony Pollard, and what are your expectations for him this season? Yeah, I, you know, I'm mixing him in in that top seventeen or so. I don't feel, I don't feel so passionate about his upside this year that I'm always taking him over. Nick Chubb or always taking him over Saquon Barkley or even always taking him over Derrick Henry. But I, I mean, you can make a great argument for him, you know, after Eckler's off the board. Um, you know, I, I have no problem with people taking him at RB3 over Bijan, you know, and, and the guys that are, you know, sometimes mixing in at the end of the first. You know, the case against Pollard would would just be if if Dallas does really actually slow some things down, involve some other backs, if Brandon Cooks is you know, if he actually hasn't fallen off and the Cowboys can spread some of that receiving work out a little bit better than they have in the past, if Jake Ferguson's any good. I mean, I actually think the Dallas offense is kind of frustrating because they might actually be better in terms of the pieces that they have this year than they were last year, but they'll be run by worse offensive minds. So, you know, I think that's the cause. That's why I'm not just all in on him as my RB3 you know, I am above, uh, I am overweight on on Pollard, but probably into the level of, you know, 12 or 13% exposure across about 500 best balls. You know, I'm not, I'm not crazy in on him to like, you know, that 18 to 20% range for an early round guy. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that it's the, the kind of the, the unknown that's, at, that's really kind of attractive about, about his price um, as well, because I think that's a guy that we, if we were coaching Dallas, you would target him a ton in the passing game. But I think he's going to need that to really reach that truly elite, like top two, top three running back season. And if you're drafting him in that range, uh, you'd certainly want him in the mix for that. So uh, definitely a really interesting one. Let's pivot back. Nick Chubb. I'll, that's, I'll okay, say one oh, yeah, more thing about, yeah, sure. I'll just say one more thing about Pollard. I mean, one I, a couple sites have this functionality now. One thing we've got at Rotoviz is our Game Splits app. I mean, we were the first people really doing that. Still one of our world famous tools. If you just go in there, you know, search Tony Pollard's career, just games that he has 12 rushing attempts. I mean, I think that's a really low bar. You know, he should probably have 12 rushing attempts in, in every game this season. And if not every game, most games. He's got 16 such games in his 61-game career. Uh, at this point, he averages 18.6 PPR in games where he has 12 or more carries. I mean, that's 316 PPR points. So that's the type of upside you're talking about. There's not a lot of backs that have the 300 PPR upside. So you know, I just want to reiterate, 
you know, there's definitely an upside case for Pollard. It does not require him having 20 carries a game to get there. He can get there different ways because he is, he has been so efficient. And a lot of times people will push back on these hyper-efficient guys truly blowing up because, you know, sometimes volume is the enemy of efficiency, you know, especially for guys that are those big play uh, artists like this. But if, I think with Tony Pollard, he is the type of player where you can give him a little bit more without totally breaking him down, especially when they've added guys like Deuce Vaughn and some people that can get some of those gadgety plays uh, potentially over the course of the season. So, yeah, I mean, sign me up for like 12 carries and four targets a game for Pollard. Sure. I mean, he he could probably be the RB2 behind CMC in that scenario. Yeah, no, I I, I love that. And let's, let's get your thoughts on Nick Chubb because this is one Whew. that's a little bit polarizing in the sense that everybody loves him in the second round, but there are people that, that have him as RB one overall in kind of the range of out, uh, outcomes. One thing I'll push back on is we've seen the RB one overall uh, for like the last 10 years as averaged like 80 catches when you combine all these massive seasons. So we yeah. haven't seen the only running back that didn't break 50 catches in an RB one overall season was Jonathan Taylor uh, in 2021. And I think that's sort of the argument for Chubb this year uh, where it's a let's get him to 40 catches and let's have him lead the NFL in touchdown uh, at touchdowns and also in rushing yards. Is that what you see for Nick Chubb? Like how comfortable are you pushing him up the board? I, I mean, I have pushed him up the board. I'm far higher on him than than Sean and Blair. The three of us are doing our redraft rankings uh, for FFPC. Have, let me let me pull up and see where I've actually got Chubb. Um, Right now in my latest update, I took a look last night. I've got him at 15 overall, which is pretty close to ADP. You know, Sean and Blair, I think rightfully so, question the receiving upside. Maybe you could even question, you know, the upside of the Cleveland offense. You know, probably 90% of people are assuming that Deshaun Watson takes a step forward and Cleveland is, you know, the best version of itself that it's been in the past couple of years. There's also a possibility that the six games we saw last year are just what he is now. I, as a Browns fan, I hope that's not the case. Yeah, it's, uh, still, it's tilting. It's tilting, man. It's really tilting. It, it, it is, man. Because if it goes wrong, it's just going to go so wrong. It's going to go so, so. So you have to leave a little bit of uh, an opening to to be wrong there. But you know, I think Nick Chubb can have one of those Jonathan Taylor type seasons uh, from a couple years ago. I, you know, it's kind of weird to play the injury projection game. But if everyone stays healthy, I don't think he's got RB one overall upside unless, you know, it's via legendary, you know, 22, 23 touchdown, you know, type of season. But I do think he can hit, you know, peak Derrick Henry type numbers that we've seen in the past couple of years. Like, you know, if the, if the Browns are really good in moving the ball and um, Stefanski, you know, fights the temptation to totally open it up and stays a little bit more run heavy. I mean, sure, Chubb's definitely on the list every year that only consists of probably two or three you know, running backs in any given season that have the capability of averaging 100 rushing yards per game and greater than one rushing touchdown per game. I mean, and, you know, that list this year is probably just Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry. Yeah. You, know, you look at Nick Chubb, despite despite not having a big receiving role, you know, at any time in his career, he's got five straight years of positive fantasy points over expectation. That is really difficult to do when you're not involved in the passing game. And it's because... He's such an efficient runner. He's one of the most efficient per touch, uh, you know, per pure rushers in the history of NFL football. And, you know, he scores a lot of touchdowns, man. His fantasy points over expectation rank in the past five seasons has only ranked outside the top nine one time. And he's been top six three times, including the last three consecutive seasons. He was third in fantasy points over expectation. Last year, uh, he was third in rushing yards, fifth in total touchdowns, third in rushing attempts. I mean, if you just push that stuff all up a little bit with Kareem Hunt out of town, and I know Kareem Hunt was getting phased out a little bit last year, but he's out of town now. The gap between Nick Chubb and kind of busted Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb versus Jerome Ford is still a lot wider. So, you know, Chubb stays healthy, absolute monster season. I'm talking like, you know, beginning, you know, those first eight games from Derrick Henry in 2021 when he was setting it on fire and on pace for 2,000 rushing yards. Sure, we could see something like that. From Nick Chubb, I still think it would be hard for him to usurp Eckler or McCaffrey if they stay stay healthy, though. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because we haven't seen a a running back in their seventh season finish as RB one overall for so long. I think it, you have to go back to like yeah. 
Ladanian Tomlinson, but right right now it's we're, we're trying to search for it. And I think that Chubb definitely gives you like the structure. Um, you know, if you're if you're going to start with like a hero RB approach, you can start with Nick Chubb yep. and kind of build your team anyway. So he's definitely appealing there. Very predictable guy in that range of the draft. In that range of the draft, you have two former Ohio State Buckeyes that player profiler is extremely high on, as is Rotoviz in the Dynasty Streets and also the Redraft Streets. Where are you more comfortable? Are you more comfortable selecting Garrett Wilson around the one-two turn or Chris Olave? Let's call it the two-three turn in most home leagues. In FFPC right now, you though you got to probably use about the two ten on him. Yeah, that's such a good question, man. Because um, I did, I did kind of include them in the same big flat tier when we were answering the dynasty question. I'm a little bit more comfortable with Garrett Wilson only because I have a pretty good idea of how Aaron Rodgers is going to approach that offense. I mean, when when he when he creates that chemistry with somebody that's the guy, I mean, they're really the guy. We've seen that with multiple receivers over the course of the career. I mean, you know, highlight season has been in full effect all summer. And Garrett Wilson, I mean, he's really been making those types of plays, and he's been that guy since his age 18 season at Ohio State. He was popping that quickly. I'll never forget. It was early in the season. I think it was a September game. He just makes this 181 handed catch with a, a tiptoe along the sideline down inside the opponent's 10. Like, who is this guy? Like, he's not even big. And uh, I, I think a lot of people have probably seen that play, but I'm just watching it in the games. Like one of the first times he got a lot of run, he just knew he was going to be there. And, you know, with Olave, there's just a couple of additional questions. I think there's a, a, a reasonable teammate context question. If Mike, Michael Thomas is healthy, uh, actually, which is a big if, you know, he's, he's probably a little bit more competition for targets than Alan Lazard would be to Garrett Wilson as the two. You know, if Jawan Johnson takes another step forward, he's probably a little bit more competition for targets than, you know, any of the tight end options. You know, pick which one you want to argue for uh, in New York. I know there's some varying opinions. You know, Olave's probably got a little bit more there to deal with. I do like Olave getting more dumb games. Um, you know, and, and you know, in and, and his defense, Derek Carr has also shown, you know, a huge, you know, favorability towards his best target. I mean, he... He propped Darren Waller towards his, you know, all-time career seasons. Uh, there was really no fall off with Devontae Adams switching over to and Carr Hunter, for Rodgers. The yeah. Hunter Renfro, the for magical sure, Hunter yeah. Renfro wide receiver one season, the yeah. most random wide receiver one season maybe of all time. Yeah. So, so you know, I don't think it's fair to necessarily. It's not like I mean, Rodgers isn't playing at his MVP level anymore. So I don't. It's not really even a quarterback advantage. It's just I think Garrett Wilson is a little bit better uh, than Chris Olave. And I think he has less competition for those targets. And even assuming that both quarterbacks might favor their number one option and force the ball there a little bit, I just think Garrett Wilson has, you know, less pressing up against him, uh, maybe preventing him from being a wide receiver one. Then there's also the context of what's going on in the draft in the second round there. So, you know, it's opportunity cost. What's happening? Who are you passing on, you know, to take the player, you know, Chris Olave, I don't know that there's a big difference between him, Waddle, you know, Devonta Smith, T. Higgins. It's really flat through there. And I actually like, you know, Keenan Allen, who's going at the end of the third round. I think I like even better than Chris Olave for a couple of reasons this season. But that's also where those high end quarterbacks go. And if and if you are willing to take a high end quarterback and you want to pursue the Mahomes Kelsey stack, you want to pursue a Hertz Devonta Smith stack at that turn instead of in you know a, a first and second round stack. There's just some things you can do creatively at that point in the draft that kind of just always push me off of Olave. So I found it easier to pull the trigger on Wilson, particularly um, if you know Pollard is already off the board. I've taken Wilson in front of Barkley, in front of Henry. I haven't taken him in front of Pollard, um, and I would I would be feel comfortable mixing him in there with you know Adams and AJB. I like that a lot. And that, that uh, you talked about with the stack, the way that people are doing it now, Curtis, you're seeing the very common uh, in FFPC main events is you take Kelsey at the 102, Devonta Smith at the 211, yeah. and then you allow the turn to decide whether you're which stack you have. But it's like the the way to guarantee yourself a Hertz or, or Mahomes stack. So guys, if you're trying that this weekend, we've seen it a bunch of times. Yeah. It's not, it's not that clever anymore, guys. Um, and I have a question in the chat from Naughty 
uh, he's deciding between AJ Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Chris Olave at the <clears> one-two <throat> turn. I'm going to say for for me on that, it's it's clearly AJ Brown and mm-hmm. Amon Ross St. Brown. I've taken both at the one-two turn, and we've actually seen Amon Ra. Let's quickly get your thoughts on Amon Ra before you answer that, Curtis, because Amon Ra in the NFFC streets, they started their prime time, which is like their main event. And we've seen Amon Ross St. Brown in that format, which starts that should, that's a start three wide receiver with a flex, high stakes format. We've seen him go off the board at the 105, like four of these, let's call it 15 drafts. He's going at the 105. So the, the steam for ARSB is there right now. Where are you at on him? And then answer Nadi's question. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I would have, uh, I would have, well, I, I guess I'm, I don't want to answer it backwards. So my St. Brown take, uh, agnostic of the other players, is you know he's a dome player who's going to be the clear number one target getter on his offense now that we have clarity that we didn't have maybe back in May, June on Jameson Williams. Uh, we have that clarity now. And some of the Laporta uh, fire that was starting to kick up and you know right when minicamp started and stuff, that's died down a little bit. And you know I don't know that anyone is really taking attention away uh, from ARSB and that offense. And Goff, I mean, you know, we're talking about quarterbacks that are good enough to support a wide receiver one without necessarily being excellent themselves. Goff is in that category, right? So, you know, the, the dome games, especially late in the season, when you're thinking about high stakes and, you know, transitioning from winning my league to winning, you know, the tournament that occurs at the end, you know, there's a lot of appeal in that uh, potentially. Now, as far as how I would rate him against uh, the other guys that were mentioned, I, I would personally have Amon Ross St. Brown and Garrett Wilson right next to each other, and it would be a, a slight step below uh, A.J. Brown. And I, I put a tweet out earlier today, and, and it was intended for people that are you know drafting in home leagues, but I think it applies in, in really all things. Like, you know, we, we really don't want to lose our draft by being unnecessarily aggressive in the first round. I mean, we want to have access to the players that are you're, they're going to you know write about as being the key to the 2023 season. Like you want as many of those guys on your team as you can, but you're going to be able to get St. Brown in the second round um, uh, often enough. Why would you take him over the, the wide receiver one who's tied to Jalen Hurts and the Eagles offense? I mean, I, I'll, I'll take the... You know, I'll take the Eagles to score more touchdowns than, than the Lions this year, um, you know, if, if we're betting on that. And, you know, AJB has already shown the types of seasons that we would hope St. Brown would put together to justify that draft position. So I'm not going to draft I'm not going to draft that season when it hasn't occurred for St. Brown. There's also an argument to be made that AJB could take another step forward and that the Eagles could be even better and more dynamic this season. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's, you know, he. I think the question was AJB – Amon Ra and Alave. I would order them just that way, Naughty. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll say the AJ Brown, it's funny how people are poking holes in AJ. Um, You know, a lot of people are kind of looking at him as a guy that he's maybe being drafted kind of towards his peak range outcomes. And I definitely push back on that one. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. Truly elite, talented player. And touchdowns are one of the biggest driver of fantasy success. And AJ Brown, if we had to bet on a wide receiver that had the most multiple touchdown games, I think for me, it would be A.J. Brown. I think he's just a, like you said, it's a second year in the offense, the comfort level. Nick Sirianni could uh, put his foot on the gas a little bit more this year. And we also could see them in better game scripts where last year they were kind of taking the air out of the football in the fourth quarter. With the defensive changes, they have a ton of talent, but you know, still you, you would expect to have a little bit more you know, returning to the mean. Uh, let's let's keep this. Oh, so go ahead. Let's, let's just do one follow-up on that too. Like, you know, even if AJ Brown is being drafted at the peak of his potential outcomes, that doesn't mean he's a worse pick than St. Brown there. Because again, we've actually seen AJ Brown post those numbers before. We're projecting those numbers onto St. Brown and hoping that he can achieve them. And, and if you can get if you can get St. Brown with some of that upside in the second round, that's far more valuable than passing on a player that's still in his wide receiver prime tied to an elite quarterback. You know, it, it's you know, it's not as if you're drafting you know, uh, a couple of rounds later, select, you know, round four or five, taking, you know, Amari Cooper instead of Christian Watson, you know, I'd much rather dabble, you know, with some projection in, in that range of the draft than at the top where we have just so much more information on people. So I had your, your friend, Scott Barrett split a main event with a B bag, Batoba and I, 
and a, a B-bag Matoba is one of the best high-stakes players in the history I'll of the game. I'll talk you into that. That's a, that's a that's a good deal for Scott. That's a good deal for yeah, <laughs> Scott. It was a lot. It was a lot of fun. It was yeah. a lot of fun for sure. We ran pure at times. At times, we we tilted. It was fun. When you split three-handed um, high stakes, it's tough. Two-handed, you can like kind of talk it out. Three, it's always yeah. like two versus one arguments and stuff. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah. If you want to watch it, it's on the channel, guys. But uh, we took Devontae Adams, but we wanted Garrett Wilson. Devontae mm. Adams in that middle of that second round is it's kind of become a polarizing pick, Curtis, because a lot of people have a lot of concerns about the quarterback change, the offense. And then there's some people who look at him and say, this is the greatest gift ever. Devontae Adams had the most air yards of his career, the most targets. He finishes as wide receiver three, and he averaged over 18 points per game last year. What are we doing? Sometimes I can get him at like 17 overall. Where are you at on Devontae Adams at cost? I mean, I'm just, you know, I'll have exposure to him in the mid-second. I'm not going to draft him in the first. Um, I feel the same way about Devontae Adams that I feel about Derrick Henry. You know, you, you can't get down on yourself for drafting, you know, an all-decade type player in the second round that hasn't really shown any signs at all of dropping off. It's still going to be the feature part of the offense, even if the offense looks a little bit different. You know, I if we were taking these guys in the first round, you know, I think, you know, you could poke holes in it from a risk perspective, taking these guys in the second could, could really be the ultimate gift uh, for, for both of those players. Now, you know, Garoppolo health has always been the issue, but you know, he helped George Kittle to some pretty elite outcomes. And, and we saw, you know, what he was able to develop in the battery with any number of wide receivers or the, you know, course of the years that he was starting at least 10, you know, plus games in, in San Francisco, if he can stay healthy, you know, that would be helpful. But even in the games that Carr didn't play last year, Adams was fine. Like he still blew up in those games. I mean, what was it? Jared Stidham, I think I'm trying to remember. Yeah. It, Jared uh, Stidham, he had the, the, yeah, he's, yeah, I mean, I, he's, he's quarterback averse. He's an elite talent until so age good. catches until age catches up with him. I think he's fine. Uh, yeah. Again, like if, I would rather have AJ Brown than him this year, but I'm sure. I'm gonna take Agreed. Devontae Adams when I especially if you start without with a running back in the first round and you need to make up for it, like he's right there. Um I, I think the lowest you can defensively or defensively put Adams would be like after Olave. Like I think you still gotta keep him above Devontae Smith and T. Higgins and the guys that are like the number twos in those offenses, even if they're elite offenses. I would rather have, you know all-decade type player, Devontae Adams, and not bet against him. But I think it makes it's it's okay to put him after Alave if you would rather roll the dice on the younger alpha and an offense that maybe has a little bit less of a quarterback question. So, I mean, what does that put Adams? Like, you put him below, like, 2-8, 2-9. You know, at that point, you, you just got to pull the trigger even if you're out yeah. on him. Yeah, he's got a certain level where you can't let him go past um, – not everybody's a value-based drafter, but that that value is staring at you. You don't have to get cute. You don't have to be too smart to yep. win in this game. Just don't be dumb. Um, and we get a lot of uh, high-stakes people listening in to press coverage from FFPC, NFFC. So speaking more to a 20, a 20 roster league, but I think this also applies to home league players as well. Where is your comfort level in drafting players who are injured? And we'll take it from a couple mm. couple levels here. So Terry McLaurin sounds like he'll be back, but it's turf toe. It's something annoying. Then you also have JSN who's dealing with the wrist. Again, we don't know the extent. If I had to bet on it, I would say they potentially hold uh, JSN out four or five weeks just to be safe. And then you have the tough one, Jerry Judy, hamstring. Could be six weeks, could be eight weeks. Where's your comfort level with adding these sort of guys? You certainly get an ADP discount when a player is injured, but then you've got to hold them. You're using draft capital for them. Are you the type of player that goes in on these guys? Or are you the type of player that say, I'm going to go elsewhere? And redraft there. I mean, if you're projected for multiple weeks missed and redraft, I mean, you're basically off my board. I, I'm just not, you know, I, I, holding on to them and just knowing how big and flat some of these tiers get, you know, I think you can make an exception for d depending on how truly elite the player is, but everyone that you mentioned, like these are like middling wide receiver two profiles. If they, if they hit their optimal this year, like no, none of the guys you mentioned are top six wide receiver types. Why would I take, why would I take that gamble 
uh, on those players when there's so many other similar players that you can make reasonable upside cases for. Now, where I, w- where I did make an exception is in best ball with Cooper Cup when the injury occurs way earlier in the summer. Okay, I'll take a half around discount on a guy that has plenty of time to heal, but I mean, this is tomorrow, basically. Um, yeah, now, JSN is a little different than these, these soft tissue and lower body injuries. So if J- JSN is going to, he's going to reach a point where he's going to probably get into those late single digit rounds, maybe even that 10th round, I think, as we get some clarity. And for a player like that, who I'm not depending on in my starting lineup from a redraft perspective, I'll eat a month because when you draft these rookies, whether it's a running back or a receiver, you're really drafting them to be that second half of the season or even playoff hammer. That's the whole thesis in drafting these high-end rookies it's not necessarily ever except for the very rare player that you're going to be plugging them in week one without having seen anything but for a guy like judy as excited as i wanted to be on paper about the broncos offense soft tissue injury for a guy who's really only shown us a handful of games uh at at the level that we thought he would be as a, a prospect coming out i mean hard pass on that and then for mclaurin dotson's looked so good and turf toe it just seems like one of those I don't have the data on this. I'm not one of the the injury guys, but I just rem- I've been playing fantasy for so long that turf toe is one of those things that's highly annoying. Now I, I think I've seen it more often in running backs where it's annoyed me uh, than wide receivers. But I don't know. He's he's been the more expensive option in the offense. Why wouldn't I just go towards Dotson and and get rid of that risk, even if Dotson raises a round or two on the news? You know. Yeah. I'm I'm completely with you on that one. Uh, F1 is a player we all truly believe in the talent, but he's mm-hmm. also never had that smash season. So I'm not going to bet on him to have that complete smash season on a turf toe year when Jahan Dotson looks like a guy who could be a top 18 wide receiver with that sort of talent and a big playability and route running ability. D- uh, Daniel Barrio is asking your thoughts on Cup. So I guess Daniel missed the missed the beginning of the show. Curtis loves yeah. Curtis uh, Curtis loves Cooper Cup, but let's let's take this question a step further. Let's say you have one FFPC main event, Curtis, only, okay? Or one 350. One okay. ticket. How high are you willing to take Cooper Cup this year? Man, I think if you only have one ticket, you can take him as high as... I mean, you can certainly take him as high as two overall. So I mean, you're you him can't, over, over Tyreek Hill, you're taking him. You, you, if you have one ticket, it might make more sense to take him there. Uh, just have a more unique team because uh, you're going to get a different pairing with Cup in the second round than you typically would. I mean, Hill's also an awesome, awesome option to talk about. If you get one ticket, it probably makes more sense to draft one of those guys a little bit ahead of ADP than take the Kelsey, Chaser, or McCaffrey uh, pick there where it would typically occur. But, I, I mean, I'm I'm definitely in on Cup at cost. I'm in on Cup above cost. Uh, and and certainly when he, you know, I got him at I got him at 109 in a, a best ball mania today, Theo, which feels like a gift. Like we already got the clarity on the injury now. And Cooper Cup is so good. He's he's a he's a wide receiver that lifts the whole offense. He doesn't just lift his quarterback. Like the whole Rams offense is going to be predicated on Cooper Cup's health. He opens it all up. They move him everywhere, and he's just so good. I mean, last year it's easy to forget because you know, unfortunately, Week Ten he went down. But hey. He was number one. He was wide receiver one in PPR per game last year. You know, that happened last year. He was second in expected points per game last year. Sixth in fantasy efficiency, you know, fantasy points over expectation per game last year. Fifth in Whopper, eighth in Racer. It doesn't matter. Like, he was still his absolute normal self on that putrid excuse for a Rams offense last year. 31% team target share. I mean, if he's actually healthy... You know, I wish I could donate my elbow to Matt Stafford and and be sure that he was going to stay out there. Uh, but man, I I think I think a lot of people, and again, I've mentioned Derrick Henry a couple of times already. I think a lot of people are swerving away from Cup, maybe even swerving away from Henry a year too early. And I understand, hey, if you can make a case for a guy that's not that same age, you know, take the younger guy because maybe they're less of a risk, or you don't want to. The problem with this is neither one of these players has shown any signs of decline. They absolutely look 100% of their elite selves. And who am I to question or project when that falloff is going to occur if the efficiency has still been there and the role in the offense definitely hasn't changed because of new entrants and threats to the market? So Cooper Cup, man, I, 
I think there's a there's an excellent chance that Cooper Cup could be on the main event winning team this year. I mean, I, I hope he's on mine. Yeah, no, there you go. Um, I'm, I'm hoping I win the FFPC main event, but Curtis, I hope you finish second with your Cooper Cup team. There you go. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll, it'll be head-to-head we'll, 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 Cup, yeah, baby. Yeah, Let's yeah, go. That, that's yeah. right. That's right. That'll be a good sweat. Uh, Shout-out to Ray Chung. Shout-out to Senior Football. The chat is lit. Make sure you hit the like button. Um, Want to touch base on Keenan Allen. Jared Smola uh, was on earlier this week. Jared is all over Keenan Allen. Uh, we had Mike Leone. He likes him. Billy Muzio loves him. I've been drafting him. Talk about how good a season you think Keenan Allen can have. And then let's take a step back because you have a 32-year-old in Keenan Allen in a what should be a great offense. And he's being selected in the same range as Debo Samuel, who was a top three finisher in, in 2021, uh, younger player than him. And you also have him going around Christian Watson, which I love Christian Watson. Um, I don't have him as high as Allen. But certain unknown upside drafters are definitely gonna gonna possibly have him ahead. Why are you so bullish on Keenan Allen and this Chargers offense? Well, I mean, there's there's a couple of reasons. I mean, e- even if we hadn't improved the offensive coordinator, um, and even if we hadn't added additional talent uh, to the team, you know, just again, look at Keenan Allen's uh, numbers from last season. You know, he was obviously, he, you know, he had like the inverse of the Cooper Cup season. You know, if you, if you could have meshed Cooper Cups first half with Keenan Allen second half because each of them only played half the season I mean you would have had the overall fantasy wide receiver one I mean I I think I'm pretty sure if you would have combined their stats they would have outscored uh Justin Jefferson for sure and so you know once Keenan Allen was healthy I mean you know we had seven weeks uh of of that and a lot of people didn't pay attention to it because he had such a big week in week 18 that didn't really matter for fantasy like you know I understand that but the game still happened you know whatever he had he was a wide receiver one in three of seven weeks and in one of those weeks where he wasn't a wide receiver one he still managed uh nearly 21 ppr it was just a week where everyone ran hot in week 13 that big game that he had against vegas but if you look at his eight games you know where he was healthy you know uh week 11 through week 18 he averaged 19 ppr per game theo like what are, i mean what are we doing like it's still justin herbert you know, I would still if somebody was going to miss a game between him and, and Mike Williams, I still think he'd I don't know. I'd probably still bet it would be Mike Williams uh, over Keenan Allen. And he, but I mean, that's a little bit in jest. I just think, look, he he was producing amongst the the most efficient uh, that he's ever been in his career at the back half of last year. He is the type of receiver who is getting. Uh, targets closer to the line of scrimmage, moving all around the formation, uh, has lived in the slot for uh, a lot of his career. But I think, you know, when you bring a guy in like Kellen Moore, you're going to see creativity for Keenan Allen, maybe that he's never seen uh, in his career. And, you know, with Quentin Johnston being, you know, I guess a, a hybrid after the catch slash deep threat guy, he, he doesn't seem as much of a, a contestant for Keenan Allen's looks as he would be for Mike Williams looks, I guess, in my opinion, I think Keenan Allen is one of the five players who could lead the league in targets overall. I don't think I would bet on him to be the number one, but if it wasn't going to be Justin Jefferson or Cooper cup, having the most targets in the NFL, Keenan Allen is on the very short list of players, you know, who would potentially, uh, you know, be at 150, 160 targets, you know, in in that conversation for the overall target getter. And if you get that type of target volume from Justin Herbert in an offense that's going to throw on early downs and they're literally going to throw all game because, I mean, the Chargers are returning to their roots, man. I mean, the early 80s, Dan Fouts, like Air Coriel, like it's it's not exactly that offense, but they have a hit. I mean, this is L.A., man. They're not – they don't need to run the damn ball and hire Mike McCarthy to lie about all the analytics research that he's done while he's been off the field for a year. Like Kellen Moore's actually going to have the keys to this offense and open up Justin Herbert. So yeah, I'm, I'm really in on Allen just because I like the player and I like the situation. Um, so super, super overweight on him. Uh, I've taken him as early as the two eleven in fantasy pros championships when I didn't like how the board was sitting. I think there was an example where all three QB ones were sitting on the board. I had taken Kelsey in the first. And I personally, I, I mean, I'm leaning more towards Keenan Allen than Devonta Smith. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. I certainly would have him in the same tier. And, and you know, heads up, I'm taking Allen over Smith there. So I kind of did your idea. You talked about 15, 20 minutes ago. 
and I went Kelsey Allen, came back around and took Hertz there. So it wasn't a stack, but that's going to be a differentiated squad uh, in the big tournament. Yeah, and I I've taken Hertz. Uh, you know, I've done naked Hertz with no no stack. You know, you don't sure. need to stack Jalen Hurts. You know, a lot of people out there are trying nope. to force these things. Let it go, guys. Nope. You don't need it. Just let him do his thing. Uh, let, want to touch base on DJ Moore, and then we got to switch over to a couple other positions. You know, we've seen a number of wide receivers uh, smash on new teams recently. Last year, you know, Christian Kirk, Tyreek Hill, AJ Brown. Years back, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, obviously, you know, there's been a number of big, big successful moves. This year, the biggest offseason move was DJ Moore heading from Carolina over to Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. This is a player that we all have really loved the talent, but he's been leaving us wanting a little bit more. He's sat there in the, as like a wide receiver two for years. Um, you know, we always want a little more volume, a little more touchdowns. This feels like it could be the year, Curtis, where he really has a blow-up season. What are your thoughts on Moore? I mean, I agree, but I actually haven't heard a lot of people say that, Theo. Everyone's been talking about the Bears aren't going to pass enough. It doesn't matter. He's going to need 35% target market share to to break out. I mean, well, maybe he'll get it. I mean, maybe he'll get it. <laughs> uh, so uh, some things on more. I mean, he's objectively good about good at football. Um, uh, excellent after the catch. Always has been. Um, one of the reasons that we liked him you know, despite not getting the the awesome, uh, you know, as good of draft capital maybe as, as he put, possibly could have gotten coming out. But DJ Moore's like, he's more like one of the all-time road of his guys that everyone's always been in on. And I love Justin Fields, man. I, I know he's shown his ceiling mostly as a runner, but I think Justin Fields can be an above average passer in the NFL to go with his mobility. Like, I don't think he has, it doesn't have to always start with well justin fields can sure run the ball um i have a pretty large prop bet on justin fields to pass for four thousand yards this year because there was great odds on it and it you know, I don't, you know probably a better number is like 3400 but it's possible that, i mean if you can really get things cooking chase claypool gets a little bit more comfortable in that offense cole Komet, uh you know they just uh extended him now, I, th I think this could be a sneaky offense. You and I were talking offline earlier this week about who are some of those sneaky offenses. The Bears could be one for sure. And it doesn't have to just be Justin Fields out there running for a thousand yards. So, and I don't know if, if, if DJ Moore gets seven targets a game, I mean, that's a pretty low bar. We're talking, you know, what, 119 targets over the course of the season. That, that would be wide receiver two type level. I mean, in his career, and I'm including, you know, a bunch of different quarterbacks, right? So some of these quality of targets could have been higher than a Justin Fields target thus far in his career. Some of these quality of targets could have been below that. But in his career, when he gets seven or more targets in a game, DJ Moore averages 15 PPR per game. That's 255 PPR. That's AJ Brown numbers. Okay. Yeah. So that, and, and you're getting that in the fourth round. So yeah, I'm in on DJ Moore. I mean, I have a lot of DJ Moore. Yeah. We took DJ Moore and then we took Justin Fields for the, the correlation uh, with Abib and Scott and I the other night, and that was the first Justin Fields, uh, DJ Moore team I've been able to put together without like the besides underdog. So I'm excited about it, and I think one underrated aspect of it is, you know, Justin Fields has possibly the fastest set of wide receivers in the league. All of those Ooh, guys yeah. can fly, and they yeah. got Scott. I didn't even say Mooney. I didn't even talk about Mooney. Yeah, yeah. So there's speed everywhere, and they made an emphasis on trying to get yak this off season, which is something they've had none of. And DJ Moore is a yak guy, and I'm in on it. I think that they're they also have the the fact that Justin Fields has the same offensive coordinator heading into that he had last year when the offense yeah. started getting better. So and they've proved the offensive line. So I'm with you. General question for you in your redraft strategy. You know, we talk about you know the big three quarterbacks, which has really become a big four mm -hmm. in the FFPC. Uh, and then for the NFFC, you're starting to see you know Lamar Jackson is still affordable, but FFPC is right near Allen. So there's the big four. And then you have the Justin Fields, Justin Herbert tier with Joe Burrow. Uh, and then we could talk about Trevor Lawrence a little later. But basically, what is your way of playing the quarterback position in redraft right now? Are you more apt to go early or wait a little bit or wait a lot? In straight up redraft, we're not talking yeah, not talking redraft. baseball. Yeah. Managed yeah. league. I mean, I love the top three guys. I'll I'll take the top three guys. I don't have a lot of Joe Burrow. Sorry. 
they're mowing right up against my no, window. No, it's it's all it's, awesome. it's it's all good. It's sound it's sound effects, guys. It's it's distracting me, but um. So listen, I like the elite guys. I haven't. I don't have as much access to Joe Burrow, and I haven't really been avoiding him. Like I think Joe Burrow. I mean, he could take. He could have a Patrick Mahomes type season. I have no reason to doubt that he could. I don't know if that's going to happen this season uh, or not. I hope his calf's okay, but he's got you know, definitely better surrounding talent than Mahomes. And I think he's got enough arm talent to, you know, he, he could be one of the guys that could throw 50 touchdowns if so, if anyone's going to do it. Just hasn't worked out. I, I haven't had a lot of access to Chase, so I haven't, um, you know, tried to force in Burrow uh, in the fourth. And one thing I don't like about Burrow is, you know, you, like the case for him is that you've taken Higgins or or Chase in front of him. Because if, if you take Burrow and you didn't get one of those guys, I mean, you're you're trying to jam in Tyler Boyd or Irv Smith, I guess. Yeah. Like that doesn't feel like the type of correlation that I want now. In, in redraft leagues, I don't feel as convicted to necessarily have these stacks. Like I I know it's still very popular and it can simplify things for you in the playoffs, but it can also take it the opposite direction. I mean, all it takes is one bad weather game. You sink, you know, two players in your lineup instead of one. That type of thing. So I, I'm not arguing against Joe Burrow. It just hasn't worked out for me. Um, I do have some Lamar Jackson with and without Mark Andrews. Um, but I, I do like Herbert. I like Fields. And I, I like Lawrence. I mean, Lawrence is the cheapest of the guys that I've just mentioned. But I think that he could be easily the QB4 this year. Um, There's definitely some sharp money coming in on yeah. Lawrence. You know, if you draft a lot like I do or Ray yep. Chung in the chat, you're starting to see a lot of people trying to build up those Jacksonville stacks. I know that's an offense you're bullish on and I wish we could get to every question but we're we're pressing up against time here Curtis I want to pivot over to tight end yeah. because two tight ends that you're on that I'm also on are Mark Andrews and Darren Waller Mark Andrews is Mark Andrews but Darren Waller has steamed up he went past Dallas Goddard during the summer then he leaped past Kyle Pitts leaped past George Kittle and now he's leaping past TJ Hawkinson your thoughts on Darren Waller now that it cost you a third round pick in the FFPC main events. And I'll say to our NFFC uh, listeners, I saw a really, really good NFFC drafter who's won multiple six figures take Darren Waller at the 3-4 turn in the NFFC. Yeah, I mean, the, the tight end premium piece just makes it so interesting because that's another two rounds and you got to pay an uh, underdog or or in other formats. 3-4 in NFFC was interesting. I hadn't heard that yeah. yet. Um, I've I'll let seen you know. Early... Off. I'm not going to reveal the name, but I'll let you know who it was when in your, in the DMs. You'll okay. be shocked. You'll be shocked. Okay. Uh, I've seen him at he he's gone at three one in at least one FFPC draft um, that I've done, and when that occurred, it was over Hawkinson, so he's going as the tight end three uh, in that scenario. I actually think it was uh, stacked with Kelsey on that team, if if I recall correctly. Um. Do you like the bully tight end, by the way, in FFPC? I feel like you're really trying to thread a needle. I I don't. Now, in, be, in best ball, there's plenty of data on FFPC that uh, drafting three, like in the first 10 rounds, especially if you do two in the first five or six, uh, can be really, really good for win rate. Connor O'Driscoll uh, wrote a couple good articles for our site this summer on that. It's been, you know, and I drafted some teams like that, but and managed, yeah. I just don't, I, I just don't see it, man. I mean, you know, if you were going to do, if you truly felt like there was no gap between Andrews and Kelsey and, and also believed that the lack of the gap wasn't because Kelsey was coming back to earth, but because Andrews was going to become Kelsey level, then, then, and only then should you do that. Um, I, I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense otherwise, but I mean, it's easy to make the case for Waller. Like, I mean, I'm not going to act like I'm some expert being on Waller. He's a clear, number one in this offense in New York, much to the degree that he was, uh, I guess it would have been in Oakland at the time before the team moved uh, when he was putting up, you know, crazy PPR and tight end premium numbers. And those offenses, I mean, you're talking about, you know, tight ends that can get a hundred plus targets are uh, very rare in the NFL. And, And then when you add into the fact that he's playing for Brian Dayball, he's playing for Daniel Jones, who hasn't had those guys, you know, really, step forward uh, at the wide receiver position and any, any iteration of that wide receiver room that they've had, it's you know, certainly reasonable that he would lock onto this guy and you know the, the offense really would 
you know, just be run through Waller and Saquon Barkley. You know, let's, let's run this offense up the middle between the hashes uh, in multiple ways. And then, you know, maybe make life a little bit easier for Jones when he does go outside the hashes. So I, it's totally defensible to take uh, Darren Waller in the early third if you believe those things. I think it is also defensible to take him over TJ Hawkinson, um, if only because if I'm looking at Waller, the thing that he has in common more with Andrews and Kelsey than he has with Hawkinson is he's his team's clear number one option. You know, Hawk, Hawkinson was very good last year, but you got Addison into that mix. I think there's some questions there. I think it's right and appropriate that Waller should go uh, before Hawkinson in most drafts, wherever that puts his ADP. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that Waller is appropriately priced now, and I think if you're talking about you know, a lot of these 350s during the summer, especially FFPC, those mm-hmm. teams that got Waller in the sixth round are looking extremely dangerous. Mark Andrews, you know, we're all in on him as a top two tight end right now. Jeez. But where are you at on Mark Andrews where you would be feel comfortable taking him? Because it seems like a it seems like you're gonna have to possibly use the one-two turn pick in some of these main event drafts because you know, I've seen some smart people yeah. take Mandrews there. I'm not quite there. Where are you at? Yeah, I'm not I'm not quite there either, but I also can't really argue against it. I mean, if you go back to that 2021 season when Andrews was basically just, you know, healthy and Lamar Jackson was basically just healthy, he was number one in like every tight end fantasy metric. I mean, first in targets, first in receptions, first in receiving yards, second in total touchdowns, first in air yards, first in whopper, first in PPR, first in PPR per game, first in expected points per game, third in fantasy efficiency per game. So, I mean, this is definitely a player that, I mean, he's a league winner, talent at tight end. And the offense is in a huge state of change, state of flux. They're going to open it up for Lamar. I mean, you could see the target volume and not just the touchdown upside uh, for for Mark Andrews this uh, this uh, year as well. And it's not just the target volume from a standpoint that he out-targets his teammates. It's not just a market share thing. It's just that the, the Ravens might throw the ball a lot more than they ever had. So, you know, in 2021, he had a team target market share of 29%. What if he has 29% on hundred more passing attempts this year, you know, than, than he, than they saw that year. I mean, he could have a truly explosive, uh, a, a explosive year. Now, the reason that you would potentially see him go at the one, two turn, or maybe even start to go at that 10 or 11 at some point is because, you know, people are playing the game of chicken. Like you really, you really want Andrews there. And now if I don't take him at 10 or 11 and I'm fine with the, now let's say I like Diggs, Lamb, St. Brown and Wilson. And I'm drafting it at the 110. I feel pretty good about one of those guys getting back to me at the 203. So why don't I just take Andrews and then take the scraps at wide receiver from that tier? So you kind of get into, you know, the 40 chess uh, with the guys that you're drafting against and you have to kind of read the room. Um, So I'm not so sure that from that perspective, there's much of a difference between taking him at 110 and 203. But if you take him at 203, you better be right. You better yeah. be right about what he's going to do this year. That that's yeah. all I'll say because you're you're you to take him at two hundred three. You're probably passing on some some combination of either Saquon Barkley or Tony Pollard, and either Garrett Wilson or Devonte Adams. So again, you know that's fine. Andrews has shown us that type of productivity in the past that would warrant that type of investment. But again, you be, you better feel pretty good about it because he hasn't produced at that level the number of times that we've seen. AJ Brown or Devonte Adams, producer of those levels, uh, respectively. Yeah, we've we've definitely uh, had misses the last two seasons for the tight end two in in FFPC drafts. Last yeah. year, obviously, Mandrews didn't bring it, and then two seasons ago, Waller got steamed up to like 10, 11, and obviously had a disappointing season. Curtis, we've reached almost our our closing point. Want to quickly get your opinion on Dalton Kincaid? This is a guy we're starting to see steam up. This is a guy that we have extremely high up in our dynasty tight end rankings at player profiler. Where are you at on Dalton Kincaid right now from a redraft perspective? I love Dalton Kincaid, man. I, I mean, it's like the new cycle slash thoughts on him are kind of so weird to me because like pre-draft is like, man, Dalton Kincaid, like look at this receiving profile. And then what if he lands, he's going to go in the late first, he's going to land with an awesome quarterback. And then he lands with the awesome quarterback. And then, then we also hear the buzz that, well, he's not going to be used like a traditional tight end. Okay, well, that's what we would want too. And then, you know, he's a safety valve for Josh Allen um, throughout the summer, and he's dominating seven-on-sevens, and he's looking great in 11-on-elevens. It's like, 
beyond Stefan Diggs, the pecking order is uncertain. And maybe they won't be able to run as big with it, even though I like James Cook. You know, maybe, maybe they won't run as much. Maybe they'll pass even more because they have this additional weapon that they haven't had before. It's like everything's gone right for him. Like I'm actually surprised that he hasn't steamed up even more. Um, and, and rookie tight ends are being drafted as aggressively as I can ever recall. And for but, good reason, I, I think. For good, yeah, for good yeah. reason. There's, I mean, there's available targets, and it was also it was a really good tight end class. Like that's something for a dynasty show another time. But it was a really good, it was a really good tight end class. But I mean, Kincaid hit the absolute nuts in terms of a situation to absolutely flourish. I mean, the Bills literally drafted him because they get murdered by Travis Kelsey and they can't get through in the AFC. That's why they drafted him. Like. If the other team wants to take Diggs away, fine. We'll throw it on the seam to Dalton Kincaid over and over again. And when then when you get that right, then Josh Allen's just going to scramble on you. You're you're done. And and like that's why they drafted him. They drafted him for those December games. They drafted him for those playoff games. I mean, I have so much. I, I'm definitely you know I'm at almost twenty percent in Best Ball Mania four, and I'm at like forty percent or something in DraftKings Best Ball. Like I just I can't not draft him there just i don't know why it just it's a really overweight there um i've got a smattering of them in ffpc though uh to be fair i've only done about 10 of the best balls maybe five or six of the super flexes and then now i'm getting ready to hammer it and redraft but you better believe i'll be aggressive on kincaid as a win the flex type option and redraft um i don't think it's necessary to wait and make him your tight end one but if you wanted to do it and then you wanted to you know, cover them up really late in your redraft with, you know, somebody like Hayden Hurst that's just going to walk into a bunch of targets and and be, you know, steady while you figure out what Kincaid's going to do. Or if he turns out to be a whiff, you're not just on the waiver wire. You know, you got to draft two tight ends if you draft them as your one. But man, I, I don't know where you're at, Theo, but yeah, I mean, I'm all I, in. I'm all in, I'm in on Kincaid a, for sure. Couldn't be more gonna, in. I think he's going to outscore Kyle Pitts rookie year two years ago. I think he's going to do it differently. But I think when we look at tight ends, we want guys with 90-plus targets. I think he's going to hit 90-plus targets. Yeah. And I don't think we should be treating him as a rookie tight end. He's really a big, oversized slot receiver. I actually think I actually think that Knox being healthy actually kind of insulates him because he's not going to have to block at all. And he's in the right offense. So we've seen, like, take a step back and look at all the success for, that rookie wide receivers have had the last few seasons in redraft. And I think that's Dalton Kincaid <laughs> this year. I think he's going to put up a number – and then he's going to help teams win. So, Curtis, Let's, we have hit we've hit an hour. I got to say one more thing, dude. Yeah, uh, Matt, Matt Kelly should have told you. You shows with me are three hours. Um, oh no, it, it, I thought you had the no, no, and no, it's no, fine. I want to I want to yeah. conclude with one more thing on Kincaid. Maybe we'll do another draft and, and put a main event in together. But um, so on Kincaid, like let's think about it this way: zoom out to fifty thousand foot. Okay, he could have similar stats to Jackson Smith, Najigba. But then you get 50% more per reception in FPC. Like, I mean, let's just think about it that way. Like, it's not just the 90 t- Like, you can think of him as a big slot if you want to, but he's a big slot that also gets a premium per catch. I mean, it's it's a no-brick. I mean, in FFPC settings, you know, he's a solid bet to be pass catcher number one in fantasy scoring for among amongst rookies. So... Uh, that I mean, that's that's the thesis on him, and I mean, that's why you want to smash him, you know, in the ninth, tenth round where he's going. Yeah, absolutely. We started seeing him going like the end of the seventh in a couple of these recent main events, so I think the market is catching up, um, but for good reason. Yeah, Curtis, this was awesome today. Really love chopping it up with you. Really have a lot of respect to what for what you and Sean and Colm and Dave Cabin and all the good people at Rotoviz uh, do during the season. Let everybody know where they can find your work when your pods are dropping. And what else you got cooking at Rotoviz? Sure. Thanks so much, Theo. It's a uh, real honor to come on the show. I mean, you've been, like I said, at the top, man. Um, you've been a player I've admired for a long time. And it's awesome that you're out there giving advice now, too. Um, as far as my work uh, and content, you can find my writing and rankings at rotoviz.com. In terms of in-season stuff that you're going to see from me this year, actually, Dave and I were planning this last night. I'm going to take over... Uh, our game level similarity projections for this season. So you're gonna you're gonna get all of those upside uh, and high floor plays from me at running back and wide receiver every week on Thursdays. Uh, that's gonna help with your lineup settings. It's gonna help you with some DFS. Um, I'll probably do some dynasty content throughout the season as it makes sense. That'll probably waffle a little bit back and forth between some Debbie 
you know, college stuff, you know, dynasty value of next year's rookie picks type thing versus some dynasty trade targets and uh, some dynasty trade diary stuff uh, that I've done throughout the course of the year. You can listen to me on the flagship podcast uh, on Rotoviz Radio. It's just called the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast with Dave Cabin and I. We just celebrated our 300th show together in the oh, that's last awesome, man. That's awesome. two years, uh, which is crazy. Probably other than my wife, I talked to Dave more than anyone, which is pretty funny because we've never even met in real life. But that's what's cool about fantasy, man. Um, we drop uh, two shows a week during the offseason. And during the season, we'll be dropping three shows per week. And one of those will actually be a focus on my uh, week- weekly projections uh, that will be found in written form also on the site. So I'll be everywhere in your year trying to help you win those dynasty uh, titles, those redraft titles. And uh, Theo, trying to help you finish second place to me in the main event. That's it, man. We'll chop it up. <laughs> I'm happy to finish second in the main event. Well, I'm not happy. It'll be a sweat. <laughs> but I think if, you know we'll yeah. take that outcome. This was sure. awesome. Uh, everybody, later tonight, you can watch Billy Muzio and I on a first-class fantasy special draft our main event uh that's going to be they'll do a tweet about it i believe it's going to be like six o'clock at night follow curtis check out the great work at rotoviz uh stay here with press coverage stay here with first class fantasy we got a bunch more uh great guests next week no sleep till vegas uh enjoy enjoy your weekend guys hey i want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in it's important to me that all of our media be free this is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.